we go. Plant time, 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 plant time. Woo! All right. Love the plant time songs. Yes. Last week, we were talking about sacred plants of the big sky, and we're sort of in the big sky uh, time. We're getting longer days. This is Sacred Garden Community Church a newish religious into congregation the, into the in warm, Berkeley, California. Uh, At Sacred sky. Garden, services and sacraments are centered on entheogens, a chemical compound produced naturally by some plants that, when ingested, can sometimes lead to a heightened sense of spiritual or religious enlightenment. Some people call these hallucinogens or psychedelics. In the Americas, indigenous peoples have used these plants in their religious ceremonies for generations. They include the ayahuasca vine, the mescaline and peyote cacti, and psilocybin mushrooms, among others. Psychedelic congregations like Sacred Garden are one of the fastest-growing faith communities in the U.S. and beyond and are taking root in Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, and non-denominational settings. I'm Kimberly Winston, sitting in this week for host Umbreen Khan. For about six weeks this spring, I attended services at Sacred Garden, both online and in person. The group calls itself a church, but that's just really for convenience. They are not aligned with any one religious tradition, but respect them all. Church leaders and members were welcoming, though they asked that I not bring my recording equipment or take photos. While the use of entheogens is legal in some cities, including Oakland and Berkeley, they remain illegal under federal law. And not all church members are public about their use of them. So the sounds you hear from their services were provided to me by church leaders and are used with their permission. Sacred Garden was founded five years ago and now has about 800 people who attend virtually or in person, most of them virtually, via Zoom and a big screen placed at the front of the room. I saw people who appeared to be from multiple racial and ethnic backgrounds and appeared to be between the ages of 20 and 80. Some tuned in from as far away as Mexico, Seattle, and Nashville. Others came in person from San Francisco, Oakland, and Berkeley, where the church is officially headquartered. Services are a cross between a standard church worship service, a college chemistry course, a garden club meeting, and a casual hippie hangout. There are invocations and readings, slides of molecular structures, instructions on the care of homegrown psychedelic plants, and guided meditation accompanied by the warm reverberation of a gong. What there is none of is drug use, but we'll get to that later. The founding pastor of the church is a man named Bob Otis. He is 56 years old and originally from Tennessee, where he was raised in a Christian family that was open to other faiths. But Christianity didn't stick for Bob. 
In a quest for meaning, he began exploring what he calls sacred plants after a teenaged LSD trip brought him his first personal experience of the divine. He is an alumnus of the University of Chicago's Divinity School and is now on the cutting edge of this emerging form of worship. After I attended a couple of services, I met with Bob in his plant-lined loft in a converted auto garage in Oakland, where his sleek gray cat, Bill, occasionally walked across my notebook. Describe for our listeners what you mean when you say a plant is sacred. We have to think about the word sacred and what is sacred. And, um, and in fact, we, we don't only consider these plants to be sacred plants. In our church, we consider them to be sacraments. The reason why we call these specific plants, uh, which are antheogenic or psychedelic plants, sacred, is because um, they can connect us to that understanding of the sacredness of, of all things. In other words, they have a unique power which distinguishes them from some other plants. The sacred plants and the sacraments, they, they can connect us to that which is divine in such a way that we can recognize the divine nature of being itself. These really speak up. They can help people like me who may be a little deaf to, to hear the sort of message of the divine that I believe is all around us that I wouldn't have heard otherwise. So sacred plants and fungi, for example, include the sacred mushroom, which a lot of people have heard of. And there are a lot of diverse actually types of sacred mushrooms, usually with they'll contain a spirit, a teaching spirit. Someone else might say they contain uh, psilocybin, mm-hmm. which is a, a compound that is psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Um, there's um, beautiful cactus called Wachuma that will carry mescaline. Mm. Someone might call that the big sky spirit. It's like a, a warm, deep uh, healing psychedelic. There's ayahuasca, which is a vine that, that can help us um, open our kind of consciousness to hearing the message of other plants like um, chacruna, which will contain DMT. What does it mean when you say that these plants are sacraments of the church? Right. And so a sacrament is something that our community recognizes as capable of connecting me to divine presence. So that's one way of defining a sacrament. So it can be consecrated and recognized. It's recognized as connecting to divine. Um but then we start to talk about the it, within sacred garden community. We talk a lot about words and limits of words because we use words. But when we're talking about that word divine, sometimes then we may sing no words, no words, no words, uh, because it's richer than we can really capture in words, right? And so we would say that the sacrament is the thing that is just sitting there on the table. In other words, hey, there's a little mushroom. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a sacrament. But the the real actual sacrament is the careful and respectful approach and practice in relationship to it within which it is initiated in relationship to me. In other words, I might ingest it or whatever the practice is. And the church has a practice that's associated with the sacrament. Yes. Right. And so really the sacrament of the church is the practice of of navigating, preparing, initiating, then practicing with the sacrament, in other words, sitting in meditation with the sacrament in, inside us, mm-hmm. um, and then integrating that, and then even moving into community integration. And so all of that is the sacrament of the church. 
But let's be very clear here. I don't walk into your church on a Sunday and you don't hand me a magic mushroom. There, right. That's not what happens. Yeah, yeah. And the first thing that I want to say, there may be many different ways of practicing with these sacraments. And I really want to express like respect and gratitude and appreciation and hope uh, for all, for any way of engaging with these sacraments. But within Sacred Garden Community, we really take our time. So we ask a new member to uh, sign up as a seeker. And um, when you become a seeker, you start getting invita invitations to what we call satsang, just like our Sunday services and other things, book clubs, integration resources, preparation resources, all of the things around the ceremony that help us prepare mm -hmm. in a good way and integrate after. So you, as a seeker, those things become available, the things around the ceremony, right? And so you, you're, to be blunt, you're, we're moving you through a process of learning. We could call it even training. We also have ethical covenants that we ask uh, seekers to learn. And that is to come into our community, bringing care, bringing respect, and then also trust that we're here in community together. And I'm, I'm offering you the gift of, of trusting that you're here for your healing and to grow your divine presence. So over a three-month period, we ask seekers to learn what our church is all about, right? And what we mean by good practice. And then finally, we'll move through a, a really formal health and safety screening. We have a clinical therapist who is looking for like risk of sort of a psychosis. We never say no to anyone, but we may say, hey, here's a one-on-one -on -one therapist that we want to encourage you to go to. Our screening is proposing that going into a group may not be great for you. Right. You see what I mean? Yeah. And similarly, um, for medical purposes, you know, if someone is taking a lot of uh, like what they call SSRIs, a certain types of of like mental health medications, they don't always go very well. They'll hit the same receptors as the psychedelic drugs. So after three months, at least eight events that we ask people to attend, we move through a confirmation. That's where you say, yes, I understand the least dogma of the church. What do you mean when you say the church has least dogma? Yeah. What does that mean? Within Sacred Garden Community, we do have a shared faith. Um, we call it least dogma. Um, and so our least dogma is we're open to the possibility there's something that's divine. That can have many words. You know, it can be source, can be God, can be nirvana. What doesn't even require you to believe in God. Mm -hmm. And careful and respectful engagement with the sacraments of our church can connect us directly to experience of that divine presence. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's as complicated as it gets. Because we have least dogma, it allows us not only to, to welcome folks of diverse faiths, it really causes us to receive you and your tradition as a gift. We're very interested in what everyone has to bring in terms of the language they use to describe that experience of divine presence. That's the way we talk about it here in Sacred Garden. And you may say, you know, God came and talked to me, or you may say, um, I could feel Satori, you know, and, and that's very interesting to this church, right? We want to learn from each other. According to Bob, Sacred Garden currently has about 100 members who are certified practitioners, meaning they have met the church's training and screening criteria. That means they can, if they choose, ingest sacred plants in community with other church members at private ceremonies. No one takes drugs at the church on Sundays. 
In addition to certified practitioners, the church has about 700 of what it calls seekers, people who have officially expressed interest in joining the church and perhaps eventually becoming practitioners. Those are numbers that any mainline congregation, Catholic, Protestant, or Jewish, might envy. But as unusual as Sacred Garden is, it's not unique. Don Latin is a San Francisco-based reporter and author who has covered U.S. religion for more than 40 years. He wrote about Sacred Garden in his new book, God on Psychedelics, Tripping Across the Rubble of Old-Time Religion. I asked Don how many congregations there are like Sacred Garden. Well, they're really all over in some ways. Uh, they're in Texas. They're in the Midwest. Um, I'd say there's probably more action in places like San Francisco Bay Area, yeah. <laughs> Boulder, Colorado, yeah, yeah. you know, New Mexico, you know, maybe around Boston, Cambridge, yeah. you know, New York. I mean, you know, it's like, but the, what's interesting is, I mean, there's, there are big churches in Florida, big churches in Arizona. You know, there are a lot of there are a lot of churches that I think are sincere attempts to form community around psychedelics. There are others that are kind of using it, using the religious freedom argument as a strategy mm. to basically distribute ayahuasca, right, or or magic mushrooms. And there's a whole range of of different kind of groups popping up. Some I think are more sincere than others. Are we seeing any formal training programs for clergy in the use of psychedelic plants uh, popping up around the country anywhere? Well, um, not so much because there's a lot of resistance in yeah. organized religion to this for obvious reasons. Yeah. I mean, most people in the religion business don't want to get within 10 feet of this. You know, I mean, they... They think it's just drugs. People are fooling themselves. It's, it's a shortcut to spiritual enlightenment. And there's all kinds of reasons why people are uh, wary. So it's it's not like organized religion is rushing to embrace this. It's a very small avant-garde that, that's starting to explore this. There are obviously there are still legal reasons because you know this stuff is really not legal. <laughs> I mean, it's the laws are changing city by city, state by state. But it's all still illegal under federal law unless you can prove a religious freedom case. And so the legal questions are really complicated and people disagree about what's legal and what isn't. I mean, everything is kind of legal till the government <laughs> arrests you and then there's a trial, right? How is what is happening today with psychedelics in a religious framework the same as or different from what was happening with psychedelics in the 1960s? What I'm seeing is there are groups now that are proceeding with more care and caution. Uh, they realize that these uh, experiences can be psychologically dangerous to people who are not used to them. So I think there's just more care and caution uh, around the use of this, making sure people are prepared for the experience, ready for the experience, even really should have the experience. Uh, so that that's that's got preparation. There's preparation before and integration afterwards. So I think what's 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 kind of inspiring about some of these groups is they're very cautious. Like the, this group, uh, Sacred Garden Church in Oakland, you're required to just hang around for three yeah. months to go to nine events. You get to know them; they get to know you. There are lots of reasons for that. You know, this is still a gray area legally. What they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. They say it's legal because of freedom of religion in the Constitution, and there's an argument for that. But you know, that's still very edgy. Um, so, but that's that's a that's an interesting church because they require people to 
you know, be around for a while before they take any of these sacraments or sacred plant medicines. I think there's more care and caution, which is a good thing. How is what's going on today with psychedelics in religious settings the same as or different from what was going on with psychedelics in the 1960s? Is there a line we can trace between the two? Uh, there wasn't nearly as much focus on integrating this into your life, I think, in the 60s. We, people were just having wild experiences, and the wonder of it and the joy of it was fine, sometimes the terror of it. I think there's a much more methodical approach to that in some of these groups. Yeah. Um, and p- part of that are lessons learned from the, you know, the wild and crazy 60s. Don, what do you think is the future of psychedelics and religion? Do they have a future together? I think it's, you're going to see it and you're already seeing it in a more of a church retreat setting, mm-hmm. not in a Sunday worship, not in the liturgy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I'm, I'm talking about how mainstream churches are perhaps going to incorporate this. Right. Um, you know, so for instance, there, you know, there were this group of 24 clergy who took magic mushrooms in this Johns Hopkins and NYU study. And to see how – this study hasn't been published yet, by the way, but I've interviewed three or four people who went through it. And none of them went back to their <laughs> pulpit and started, hey, I had this amazing experience at Johns Hopkins or NYU. They kept it very quiet, even though what they did was completely legal, right? It was a FDA-approved, government-approved study. But mm. still, you know, they – and I think the main reason they didn't bring it up to their congregations is they know that most people – aren't interested in mysticism. The people that were kind of organizing these studies and are part of the strategists and the psychedelic revolution, you know, some of them are thinking that, oh, this is going to revitalize American religion because it'll remind clergy and lay people of why they got into this in the first place. And for most people, you know, mysticism has nothing to do with their religious path. They're there because of community, how to live an ethical life, how to live, you know, morality, uh, it's not that they're really going for a mystical experience, whether it's occasioned by psychedelics or not. So it's 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 a it's a subset of people. So I I think the way you're where you're going to see it are like church retreats, where there'll be states, and it's already happening this year. I mean, it's January first. It was like less than two months ago. The state of Oregon legalized facilitated psychod- uh, psilocybin services. So uh, Colorado just passed a law last year too so it's it's happening it's Mm. and churches have to i think churches need to be part of this but they're proceeding very cautiously which i think is a good thing and i think you're going to first see it like in in retreat centers some Mm. of which may be uh you might have a psychedelic retreat center where one group will be christians one will be jews one will be buddhists one will be whatever uh people with no particular faith uh, I think that's where, you, and then then it'll be interesting to see how this percolates down into what's left of institutionalized religion, yeah. which is crumbling. Yeah, I mean that's so. It's like what's going to rise out of this? I don't know. It, it's it remains to be seen. But new forms of exploration and community are already arising. The whole small group movement, like Bible study groups, prayer groups, meditation groups, men's groups, women's groups, yes, psychedelic church groups. It's all part of a re-envisioning of how we, quote, do church in America. And psychedelics are a small but very interesting little piece of that.
That was Don Latin, author of God on Psychedelics, Tripping Through the Rubble of Old-Time Religion. You can find a series of articles Don wrote on psychedelics and religion for the online magazine Lucid News on our website, interfaithradio.org. When we come back, we'll continue to explore the use of psychedelic plants in a religious setting. Stay with us. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. <laughs> 